series here. We have just a few more messages on our This is War series. So far, we have talked about having the belt of truth. Then we moved into having the breastplate of righteousness. Then our shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. And last few weeks, we were settling on the shield of faith. Shield of faith. Let's see what is next. Ephesians 6, verse 14 through 17 says this, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. That is our next piece of armor this morning, is the helmet of salvation. Uh, This might be a different take. I don't know if you've really pondered this verse or what this verse means, so I'm going to hit this at a couple of different angles this morning. But I want to just briefly talk about salvation here for a few moments. Salvation, for many, salvation um, is about not perishing. Jesus said, for those who believe, they will not perish, but will have everlasting life. For many, it's about that. It's, it's a fire insurance policy, so to speak. And we all say, praise the Lord for that, because we do know that in Jesus Christ, the salvation of Jesus Christ, we do have eternal Life, And so we thank the Lord for that. However, there must be more to salvation than merely escaping hell's flames. Or else Paul would not have put this into this passage. I'm not trying to be profound here, but I believe that salvation is supposed to make an impact in the way that we live every day. Amen? It's supposed to make an impact in the way that we live. Salvation of Jesus should not only make a difference where we will spend eternity, it should make the difference in the right here and the right now of living. Far too many people say that they've had some kind of experience with Jesus, yet their life today is no different than what it was B.C. Many claim that Christ is in their life, but there's been no radical change that has taken place. We know that 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Newsflash, when Jesus comes into your life, there is a radical change. Radical change. And for that, we say, praise the Lord. In this country, you and I live in freedom. We're able to have a family and get a job, pursue and live the American dream, have the chance to worship the one true God every Sunday. All because countless men and women have paid the ultimate price. We have been given much in this country because many have given their all. Because of this, I do not believe that you and I can be takers only. Because so many have paid the ultimate price, 
I believe that it should make, now hear me on this, because so many have paid the ultimate price for America, it should make a difference in how we live in America. It should make a difference as to what kind of citizens we are. Our lives should reflect the love and respect that we have for our country. Our lives should honor and respect those who have gone before and those who are currently serving. That's why it is absolutely disheartening and we get sick whenever we see people in this country burn the American flag. It not only brings shame and dishonor on our country, but it brings shame and dishonor on those individuals. Such actions are completely unacceptable because the price that many have paid should make a difference in how we live today in America. Church, I believe the same applies for what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid your price. He paid my price for sin. We should have been the ones hanging on the cross. As the words to the song that I have sometimes sing, those were my nails. That was my crown. That pierced your hands and your brow. Those were my thorns. Those were my scorns. That, those were my tears that fell down. And just as you, Jesus, said it would be, you did it all for me. And after you counted the cost, you took my shame, my blame on my cross. You see, because we have so great a salvation, it will make a difference, church, in the way that we live today. We cannot just enjoy the eternal benefits And not be a changed person while we live here on earth. I am not my own. You are not your own. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I am crucified with Christ. It is therefore no longer I that lives, but Christ now lives within me. And Paul was telling us here in Ephesians that the effects of this great salvation should make a difference in how we engage the enemy of our souls. Because the price that Jesus paid for us should make a difference in how we live today. Aside from the eternal benefits I want us to look at the blessings and the benefits of this life. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, just a few pages back, if you were already in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to go ahead and read this with you. I want to read a number of verses out of chapter 1 and chapter 2. Look at the benefits that are ours through salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version, starting with verse 4. Going through 14. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. You notice that He chose us. He chose us. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. According to the good pleasure of His will 
to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, (laughs) praise the Lord, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Go to chapter 2, chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, (laughs) there's a message right there. Oh, to title a message, but God. (laughs) Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is a list of the benefits, church, of salvation. We have become holy. We have become without blame in God's sight. It doesn't matter what other people think about you, but are you holy and blameless in God's sight? We have been accepted. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have redemption and forgiveness of sins through His free gift of grace. We have an inheritance that is out of this world. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Like Lazarus, we were dead. You and I had a terrible stench about us. But He brought us forth and He made us alive so that we could be a sweet smelling aroma unto the Father. He raised us up to sit in heavenly places. You are one of a kind. I am one of a kind. We are His masterpieces. And He has chose you and I to do His works, to be His workmen. All of this for not just this life, but the life to come. 
Praise the Lord. Apostle Paul just said that we are to put on the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet do? It protects the head. It's supposed to protect the head. Just a little trip down um, memory lane here. We are getting close to football season. And I was, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about a football helmet, and it's supposed to protect the head. And uh, they created the football helmet back in the 1920s and back in the 1930s. And I have just a picture of some here. Back in the 1920s and 30s, that's what a picture of one of the early football helmets looked like. It was just a leather shell, very soft. And in the 30s, they tried to harden them a little bit. But not a whole lot of protection there for the head. In the 1940s, they came up with the first plastic shell along with the first chin strap. In the 1950s and the 1960s, that's kind of what they looked like. And there's that face bar that went around the front, all in an effort to protect the head. What about the 1970s? 1970s, there was extra padding that was added inside the helmet, plus the full face mask of the helmet. And the 1980s, how many of you are Bengals fans? Any Cincinnati Bengals fan here? Not one. Wow, isn't that something? All right. Um, they came up in the 1980s, the first ever polycarbonate shell. Just kept making more and more advances to protect the brain. In the 2000s, Rydell developed what is called the Revolution Helmet to reduce concussions. Today they've designed impact, believe this or not, they have designed impact indicators in the chin strap to kind of help them uh, know when serious uh, injuries, head injuries have taken place. And to uh, illustrate, you know, what one of the, uh, the modern day helmets uh, looks like, I've saved the best for last. Well, not all oh, that is bad right there. Who did that? You are wrong. Ryan Carlo. I had a Pittsburgh Steeler helmet up there. Praise the Lord, nothing, Dave. Boy, did you set me up good on that one. <laughs> That's bad. Dave sweats up there counting, and uh, he's up there going like this. Get back to work, Dave. Ryan, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> It's not that funny, Emma, over there. All right, now I have your attention, right? Just a little sick trip down memory lane there. The Apostle Paul had this view of a helmet, and he's clothing the Roman soldier. He sees what the Roman soldier has. And back in that day, uh, the Roman soldier's helmet was, was nothing more than just a skull cap made of iron. It had an overlay of bronze on it. And aside from other things, the main task of the helmet was to protect the mind, was to protect the, the head and the brains from those hard, blunt Hits from the sword. 
Through the years, they made advances to the Roman helmet, one that would give protection to the neck and the face and the shoulders. All of this to protect the brain. Why all of this importance? Perhaps Paul had this in mind. Uh, the helmet, he knew, was protecting the head, the mind, the brains. But why the helmet of salvation to do that? The brain, it's incredibly complex. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. It's the central nervous system of our entire body. It's, it's complexity and importance cannot be overstated. i got to tell you about something that happened a few months ago. Uh, you... Uh, we told you about a girl named Elizabeth Stewart. She attends the uh, Zanesville Church of God, and uh, she was in a, a very uh, serious automobile accident a number of years ago. Um, and she pulled out in front of a dump truck, and the dump truck won. And uh, it, it was it's just not a good situation, and she had some serious injuries to the brain, and uh, she was in a coma. And just to tell you the, the, just how fascinating the brain is, and, and some studies have known for this to happen in rare occasions, but when she came out of a coma, she spoke with a southern accent. Had no way of understanding that or explaining that. Spoke with a southern accent. She is now starting to come out of that. And I personally experienced that. I went to go visit her up in Akron and... Uh, yeah, it, it was just like she was straight from the south. The brain is an amazing organ. Your brain is where all your motor skills, your thoughts, your emotions come from. It's where we get the motivation to love and to hate, to have compassion, to laugh, to cry. There is a direct correlation to your mind and your heart. There's a main highway that connects, there's a connection from your brain to your heart, from your mind to your heart. That which starts out in the mind can quickly affect the heart, as you know. And that which will affect the heart affects all of life. You see, where your, what your brain is to your mind, your mind is to your soul. Now think about that for a second. Can you begin to maybe see why we need a helmet of salvation? What your brain is to your mind, your mind is to your soul. Your mind is the spiritual expression of your brain. It's the starting point for where one thinks and ponders on the things of God and eventually leads one's mind to direct one's heart into action. Why do you think the enemy works so hard to mess your mind up? Why do you think he works so hard to implant negative thoughts into your mind? That's why we need a helmet of salvation. Some of Satan's attacks, some of you walked in this morning saying things like this to yourself. I'm unworthy. I'm unloved. I'm incapable. I'm undesirable. I'm unforgivable. I'm unknown. I'm insignificant. Some of you, someone may have walked in this morning saying, I'm a mistake. 
See, these are some of the attacks of the mind that Satan can plague us with. You've heard the phrase, perception is reality. What we think impacts so much of who we are. What one thinks about themselves and what others think about them can have huge, even catastrophic consequences. How many school shootings have been a result of sick and deranged teenagers who have been bullied or made fun of or told how worthless they are and they walk into a school and they wreak havoc? Paul tells us to put on the helmet of salvation because the salvation of Jesus Christ not only changes our hearts, it changes our minds. I believe it was the demoniac who they could not control and they found him often uh, frothing at the mouth, and uh, they would oftentimes uh, bind him with chains, and he was just, he was out of it. He, he had lost his mind, and after Jesus came, it said that he was calm, and he was clothed in his right mind. That's the difference that Jesus can make. Salvation. For those who know Jesus, you know that you're in a battle. Many times our battle is a battle of the mind. If I would ask you to close your eyes and raise your hands, if you have a battle of the mind, I bet you half of you would raise your hands right now. It's a battle of the mind, but... but. But God, but if we will keep and put on the helmet of salvation, we can be victorious. This is going to be on the screen, but a couple great verses I want you to see with your eyes. If you have them, Second Corinthians, go to Second Corinthians 10, just a few pages back here, Second Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10. Again, maybe just a, a different way to attack Ephesians 6.17, the helmet of salvation. Different way to look at it here, but 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This refers to the battle that rages in the mind and in the soul, church. But the weapons at our disposal are not of us. If they were, then they would be of the flesh. They would be of carnal nature. But instead they are from God and they are mighty in God for destroying any stronghold that Satan might have. Notice what it says there. It says that we can bring any thought, any thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Any thought. You see, Jesus and salvation has a way of changing the way that we think. There were um, tribes in New Guinea years ago 
that would have a tradition, they would sing songs and they would dance certain rituals and they would work themselves up into a frenzy. And one of the songs that they would sing is called, was called the murder song. And what this song was is they would take the names of their enemies and they would chant and sing and dance the names of their enemies uh, singing that they would die, that they would kill them. That was called a murder song. But when the missionaries came to that area and began to introduce Jesus Christ, and some of them began to accept Christ and get saved, things changed. They kept some of their same traditions and same rituals, and they kept some of those same songs, but instead, instead of uh, saying the names of the people that they hated, the names of the people that they wanted to uh, see die, They said the names of the people and the sins that they were committing. They said the names of their enemies and the sins. They asked that God would kill the sins of the people, that they too would accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You see, salvation should make a difference in the way that we live today, church. It should make a difference. We're no longer who we used to be. Oh, the old song that many groups have sung has sung, Thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. (laughs) Praise the Lord. He changes your song. He'll change the words of your song. Our next passage, Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice here it tells us that we are to be holy. We are to be acceptable to God. And notice that it says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Are our minds not a part of our bodies? They are a part of our bodies. That is included as well. How do we do this? We do not conform ourselves to the things of this world but constantly have our mind on the things above. So I ask you this morning, how do we conform our minds? And I'll ask you, what are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? What are you watching? What are you hearing? What are you giving your mind over over to? James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone, but hear me, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, which is full grown, brings forth death. That is a process. That sin process starts in the mind, church. It starts here. You remember I said there's a highway, there's a connection from your mind to your heart. Dave said this earlier, Colossians 3.2 says that we are to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Through the helmet of salvation, you and I have the ability to take any destructive thought captive. 
throw it in jail and allow God, allow the jailer to deal with it. Allow him to take it. I believe it was last week I gave this illustration. Um, some of you are gave the illustration of uh, the old 1970s TV show Emergency and how as a kid I grew up watching that. Well, here is another show that uh, many of you grew up watching. You remember that? Uh, that's kind of in my era a little bit. All right, I can already hear the trolley car in my mind right now. All right, one of PBS's most popular, most long-running shows that they had. It ran for 33 years. Isn't that amazing? 33 years. Why? Because Mr. Rogers, who was also a Presbyterian minister, if you did not know that, he would not he would not stop telling kids just how special they were often saying things like, you're special just by being you. That message right there, you're special just by being you, is not a message that Satan wants you to grab, grasp onto. Remember some of the things that I said Satan whispers in our mind? He says things like, you're unworthy, you're unloved, you're incapable you're undesirable, you're unforgivable, but those are lies straight from the pit of hell. Because I want you to turn to one, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and I want you to listen to what God has to say in response to Satan's lies. Psalm 139. Unworthy, unloved, incapable, undesirable, unforgivable. Some of the things that Satan whispers into our minds. Psalm 139, verse 1. The psalmist said, O Lord, You have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Skip down to verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In verse 17, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum! Of them. You feel as if you're unknown? This God says that He knows you. He knows where you're at every second, every day. God knows us so well that He knew the number of days that we had on this earth while He was forming us. 
you feel insignificant. But here it says that he is acquainted with all of your ways and you cannot even say a word. You cannot even think a word without him knowing it. You think that you're a mistake. You think you're unloved or undesirable and unworthy. But God just said that he personally formed you in your mother's womb. He took it upon himself. He did not put it off to an associate. He did not give it to an angel to form you. He took it upon himself. He said, you are so important. You are so important that I am going to make sure that I form you myself. The creator of the world just told you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Doesn't matter what is happening at home, what happens with mom and dad, or what happens with your friends, school's getting ready to start, doesn't matter what your friends tell you, God just told you that you are wonderful. Look at what verse 17 says. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. If you're not careful, you'll reverse that and, and, and make it sound like David saying, How precious are you to me, God. No, he was saying God has counted you as precious. When he looks at you, when he thinks of you, when he knows where you're at, he thinks you are precious. Don't allow anyone or anything to tell you you are not precious in God's sight. Battle of the mind. And oh my, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only are you special, you are a child of God. You are one of His, one of His own in the family of God. Doesn't matter if you've had a great family or not. Jesse Nichols grew up without having the greatest family experiences, but now he's a part of the family of God. Praise the Lord. Family of God. Folks, salvation isn't limited to just everlasting life. It includes an earthly life with a God like this. And because of this, Christ's salvation should make a difference in how you live today. When we receive salvation, Christ redeems us. But listen to this. But when we wear the helmet of salvation, we redeem life. Let me say that again. When we receive salvation, Christ redeems us. But when we wear the helmet of salvation, we can redeem life. And life in Christ becomes a protection for us. But if we want to keep this protection... We had better keep wearing this helmet so that we can withstand all the attacks of the evil one. Salvation in Jesus isn't just a one-time experience. It isn't just a piece of armor that we put on one time when we say yes to Jesus and then we take it off. Instead, it will make a difference in how we think, how we feel, and how we live. I'm going to ask Mandy to come up, Joyce to come up. Speaking of salvation and the, the, the thoughts and the themes around salvation, I know some of you are wondering what happened to Charles Templeton.
the story that we told last week. Charles Templeton, when he turned from God and became an agnostic, and he tried to take Billy Graham with him. Charles Templeton, whenever he turned from God and all the years that he was an agnostic, one of the uh, things that he said the most, one of his hallmark statements was he believed that Jesus Christ was probably the greatest human being that ever lived. But he was not the Son of God. That was the statement that would hold him back. But this, this mindset does not get you into heaven. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. It also tells us in John 20, verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. In 2001, Charles Templeton was 86 years old. And he was sitting in a hospital room up in Canada being interviewed by a reporter named Deborah Matthews. And he was in the final stages of Alzheimer's. Towards the end of that interview, he began to tell Deborah the same thing that he had said for years. He began to say Jesus Christ was the greatest person that's ever lived, who's ever walked the face of this earth. But, in what he normally had said all down through the years, the statement that he would say, but he wasn't the Son of God, when he got to that point with Deborah Matthews, the words would not come out. And the reporter writes that when he got to that point, he was the greatest man that ever lived. It says that he turned his face and he began to gaze off somewhere. He, he began to be in another world. And then she wrote down these words of what he said next about Jesus. He said, and I miss him. Isn't that something? And I miss him. During the interview, a few minutes later, an 83-year-old white-haired man entered his room. And it was his friend Billy Graham. The two had not seen each other for many years. And the reporter captured all this in her article and she said the two just exchanged loving embraces and exchanges and Billy Graham came up to him and hugged him and and the reporter said that when Billy hugged Charles Templeton Charles just put his head on Billy's shoulder. And Charles looked at Billy and he said he made the right choice. Billy looked at him and he said, it's not too late for Chuck. And Billy began to witness Charles Templeton on his deathbed. He began to tell him about on the cross. It was too late for the thief. And Charles 
it doesn't happen late for you. And he asked Charles if he wanted to once again believe in Jesus Christ. And Charles, all he could say was, yes, Billy, I know, I know. Billy soon left the room. We don't know exactly what happened with Charles, but I want to read this. And Billy knew that he did all that he could do. And it says this. Less than six months later, Templeton's wife, Madeline, was visiting with him in his room when suddenly he became tremendously excited. His hands waving, his eyes darting to and fro, searching the ceiling as though seeing something that nobody else could see. He looked up and smiled, and a peaceful expression washed over his face. Quote, they are so beautiful, he said. They are waiting for me. Oh, their eyes, their eyes are so beautiful. Templeton blinked to make sure his own eyes were not deceiving him. Then he raised up a few inches off of his pillow, opened his eyes wide and looked heavenward and said, I'm coming. I'm coming. I don't know exactly what took place there. Only God knows. Very possible that Charles Templeton once again put on the helmet of salvation. I can't give a message like this, folks, without making a plea for salvation. Maybe you've come here today, you've never originally put on that helmet. You've never had salvation. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today can be the day. Maybe there's someone here that you know you've not been wearing the the helmet of salvation. You've not been living in the benefits of His salvation and you want to do that. Listen, don't wait. Don't wait. For those of you who uh, were a part of a Warsaw camp meeting or went down to Warsaw camp meeting this this past year, a couple weeks ago, the evangelist uh, was Gerald Rudd. And uh, Gerald and, and Ruth, his wife, and Steph and I, we got to know them better and got to spend a lot of time with him this week. And they had a, a, a son named Bob who was in his 40s. And he said, please pray for Bob. Please, please pray for Bob. Um, he doesn't know the Lord. And um, if you're a parent um, to have a, a wayward child, that's, that's got to be extremely hard. This past Thursday, we got news that Bob was killed in a car accident. Don't wait. I don't know the condition of Bob's soul. I can only pray. I've tried to get a hold of Gerald and Ruth and have messaged them, but I don't know. I can only pray that in some divine moments at the end of his life that he was able to put on the helmet. Of salvation. If that's you this morning, maybe God's calling your name. Would you bow your heads, please? God, <laughs> that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about salvation in Jesus Christ, it's about declaring. That you are the Christ, Jesus. You are the Son 
of the living God. It's about allowing you to come into our hearts and to forgive us of our sins and to start on a journey with you and to